again tonight. And we, we, this morning we looked at uh, some of the circumstances uh, with the, the church in uh, Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to go a little bit further back in the book of Acts, but I want to get us up to speed, uh, give a little background uh, before, we, before we read some scripture and see something that's, that's very interesting uh, in the book of Acts. Now, when the disciples uh, finally got their gaze out of the, 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 the skies and the clouds and went back into Jerusalem, you know how uh, the Bible relates, uh, tells us the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Uh, many people were saved. Uh, we believe that, uh, according to what uh, the book of Acts uh, points out to us, that possibly on and one single occasion there were 3,000 people added to the church uh, by believers' baptism. So the church grew. Problems also cropped up. Uh, they did a little, you, little experiment with communism. And I always like to point out to people that communism didn't work for the Lord's church, so it certainly won't work in any society uh, of man any time. But uh, they were, you know, they were doing uh, what they felt they needed to do uh, to take care of people, and they sold their goods and uh, sold their houses and gave up their jobs. And the fellowship was fantastic. Uh, it's, it's exciting. I know uh, from experience it's exciting to be in a church that's uh, growing rapidly and all the, the singing is fantastic, and the fellowship, and the sermons, and it's just wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful. But Jesus had given them a mission to do, and if you remember part of our text from this morning, he said, you are to reach Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and continue spreading the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. We don't have time tonight to talk much about that, but he's given them a a system to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, God gave me all authority. Now, I'm authorizing you. He gave them limited, gave the church limited authority. He said, I'm giving you authority to make disciples everywhere in every nation, to baptize those who believe, and to teach them everything that I've taught you. Those are the three parts of the commission. And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them how to systematically do that. He says, you start in Jerusalem, then you spread out into the state, into Judea. Then you go across the border into Samaria to people who have a different uh, religious viewpoint, people who have a different culture from you, Uh, People that you don't really like that much, but you're supposed to go there. But you just keep going to the uttermost part of the earth. But when the church grows as the church in Jerusalem did, what happens in so many cases? People get settled in. They get focused on uh, solving the problems of taking care of um, some estimates go from 7,000 to 11,000 members in a matter of weeks. And by having all of these widows to take care of, that actually the apostles were having a problem finding time to pray and to study and to preach because they were taking care of material things. So the church sort of got settled in and didn't, it's lost sight 
of the, the whole vision that Christ had given them of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. But eventually, the church did go out and preach the gospel. Now, one thing I always like to point out about this story is something that may, may or may not have occurred to you, that the church uh, was actually forced out of Jerusalem. There, I believe there were two factors that forced the church out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. One of those factors, which everybody's very well aware of, was persecution. In those days, persecution sprung up, and many people had to leave Jerusalem to spread the gospel. They went, uh, uh, they had to leave because they couldn't stay because of the persecution. But, but the other factor, the second factor that made them leave Jerusalem was the poverty that happened because of their little experiment with communism. The, the jobs were gone. The food was gone. The stores were no longer there. They no longer had any cattle. They'd sold their homes. And when they had eaten all of that up, they had to leave. They become, became poor, and so they had to go uh, seek uh, employment in other locations. So the Holy Spirit used those things, persecution and poverty, to make the church leave Jerusalem. There's another factor that I find interesting. If we go back uh, uh, a matter of, let's say, weeks or months before this, uh, when Jesus was still uh, on earth, he was coming into Jerusalem toward the end of his ministry. He was, uh, on a, he was sitting on a donkey and people were ready for him to, to establish his kingdom. They were expecting the kingdom, uh, the throne of David to be occupied and the crown to be placed upon Jesus' head. So Jesus is coming in and people are cutting branches and putting them on the, on the roadway and they're putting down their coats and they're, uh, they're yelling and they're singing and they're joyous and it's Hosanna and say, oh, save us, Lord, and that kind of thing. And so Jesus is, is coming into Jerusalem and there's this huge expectation that he's going to be, be declared, proclaimed as king. Well, in Luke, Luke tells us a little detail that's very interesting. He says, uh, he tells us that the Jews came to Jesus and said, tell your disciples not to do this. Tell them to, to simmer down. This is not right. This is blasphemy. They're, they're treating you like God. Well, yeah, he is God, but they don't believe that. But they want Jesus to rebuke his disciples and tell them not to be proclaiming those wonderful things about him. Do you remember what Luke tells us that, that Jesus told those Jews? He said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that because if I tell them to shut up, if they shut up, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. Now, have you ever heard a rock preach the gospel? I never have. Now, we know that in the Psalms and in a lot of the Old Testament writings, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, creation does proclaim the glory of God. We know that. But to actually speak, rocks don't speak. And it was not in God's plan for rocks to speak. He gave the speaking thing to his church in the Great Commission. He told the church, go into all the world, to the uttermost part of the earth, and make disciples, baptize disciples, and teach disciples. That's the job. So in the church in Jerusalem got settled in. Let's get back to our narrative here. Uh, 
the church of Jerusalem got settled in, all this growth, thousands of people, lots to do, uh, hard to get everything to take care of everybody, uh, only 12 apostles and, and thousands of members, and how are you going to take care of all these people? And so and everybody rejoicing, the wonderful fellowship and the singing and all of those great things. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you've got to get out of here. You've got to get out, and you've got to not only reach all of Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So the church was forced out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made them go. The Holy Spirit kicked them out of Jerusalem, if you will. And here's the point. There was only one church. There was only one church in the whole world. That was the church of Jerusalem. There was not not any other church. So if he commissioned his church to do that, and it's not rocks that are going to cry out, because rocks are not called to fulfill the Great Commission, but the church has been commissioned to do that, and there's only one church, well, well, then what church has to do that? The church of Jerusalem. So the church was forced out. But here's here's, here's the kicker. Today... How many churches, how many local, why not just say Baptist churches, Lord's churches? How many good, solid, sound Baptist churches are there in the world? Well, I have no idea, but I know that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So if one church decides we're not going to do it anymore, we're not going to go, we're not going to fulfill the commission. We're just happy with what we've got. We're settled in here and we're just as content as we can be. So we're not going to go. You know what the Lord will do? He doesn't, have to kick, he doesn't have to kick that church in the seat of the pants. Because there are other churches that will go. There are other churches that will fulfill the commission. So he can let a church that decides not to grow, he can let them die. He can let them die. Now, I'm saying all of this just as background for something we're going to look at further on in the book of Acts. Now let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And look at the beginning of a wave of missions that was astonishing. And let's read the first few verses of this chapter. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius and, uh, of Cyrene and Manaam, uh, which had uh, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This happened at the church at Antioch. Now, the Bible tells us some, uh, gives us some very, very interesting pointers. The book of Acts, by the way, is considered a historical book, the only historical book of the New Testament. However, I like to consider the book of Acts our missions manual. Because the book of Acts has many, many, many teachings about how to go about doing missions. And when we look at uh, this group of men, uh, this, this church at Antioch, which was doing very well, by the way, 
the church at Antioch uh, had a nucleus of men, and it gives us, gives us a list of their names. And it says this group of men, this nucleus in the church, served the Lord. They worked for God. Now, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, I think that every church member ought to serve the Lord. I think that every single church member ought to serve the Lord. But what is the reality when we look at churches worldwide, everywhere? My church, your church, anybody's church. What's the reality? You have a nucleus of people that do all the hard work, all the heavy lifting, and you have a bunch of people that just sort of go along. They're just sort of there. You know, they're just part of the church, but they're not really. But here's something very important. Who did the Holy Spirit use? Where did the Holy Spirit move? Now, he's, he's going to use his church. He's going to use his church because that's part of the plan. That's why the church of Jerusalem was forced out of Jerusalem because it was the only church and rocks are not going to cry out because that's the job of the church to proclaim the gospel. But the Lord will always, besides using his church, he will always work in that nucleus and that a group of committed people in the church, those are the people that he's going to use to do great things in his kingdom. Just stop and think about that for a minute. And it would be a good thing, and, and this is something that I uh, provoke my church to do all the time, to reflect, are you part? Are you part of that committed few in the nucleus of the church, in the, the, that group in the church? Are you really working? What's your ministry? What are you doing? How are you serving? What are you doing for the kingdom in his church? Because if you're just drifting along, you're going to miss an opportunity to be used in a great way by the Holy Spirit because he works with that nucleus that's serving the Lord. Now, that's just a Bible principle. That's not my theory. That's, that's what we see here. That's what happened here. So there, there's this group of men, there's this list of men, and then uh, something that I think is, is rather humorous, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, by the way, and we believe that Luke actually followed the ministry of the apostle Paul and probably traveled with him most of the time as part of his team, his missions team. But when Luke writes this, Look how he, he mentions it. He gives the list of names of men in the church who were busy working and serving the Lord. And then he, uh, he mentions uh, Saul just as an afterthought. He gives the list of names and then he just sort of says, and, look at, look at the scripture, and Saul, or the apostle Paul as we know him today. He just sort of adds that, you know, just sort of tacks Paul on there. And yet Paul is to become one of the greatest missionaries of all time. But yet he's just sort of tacked on there. He's a, a, a young Christian yet. He's new in the church. Uh, he's still in training. But the Holy Spirit comes and does something uh, astounding. Look what happens. As they ministered, they worked, they served the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, this is material for another message, but it's, I think it's always interesting to notice also 
the, the methodology that was used to send out these two missionaries that the Holy Spirit selected from where? From the nucleus within the church, the nucleus that was serving the Lord. Nobody outside of that group that was committed was selected. Only people that were in the group were selected as missionaries. And I think all of us need to be open-minded about, you know, if, if wherever he leads, I'll go, like we just heard. We, we all, every single member of the church needs to be willing to say, you know, here, here am I, Lord, send me. I want to go. If you want me to be a missionary, even in a foreign country, I will. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to serve you where you have placed me. I'm going to be part of that committed few inside the church because that's where the Holy Spirit's going to do the calling. That's where the Holy Spirit's really going to do his work, his greatest work. So Luke tells us that Barnabas and Saul were called, but look at how, just mention this in passing, look what happened, how, what they did to send these missionaries. The Bible says that they prayed, they fasted, they laid their hands upon them, and they sent them away. That's a far cry from the way we do missions. That's the far, far cry from the way we send missionaries today. You hardly ever hear of anybody fasting. You know, fasting, well, I, I, I think I'll die. I don't think I can do that. Uh, but the, but the, it's part of the process. It's part of the system that, the, that they used. It says they prayed. They fasted. They did the laying on of the hands, the blessing upon these missionaries. And then it says, and they sent them. They sent them away. Now, what's the process today? Like I said, the fasting, forget that. We're not going to do any fasting. We will pray for the missionary. We might lay on hands. We might. I haven't seen many missionaries that have been sent out this way. But we might lay on hands. But then once we, we decide that the missionary is called by the Spirit and he's going to go to the field, well, then we've got to put him out on the road for two years on deputation to raise his support before he can go to the field. It's not in the Scriptures, folks. It's not there. What did they do? They prayed. Why don't you just, why don't you just repeat these things with me? So we can sort of make them stick. Pray, fast, laying on of hands, and send. What's implied in that send? What's implied in they sent them out? What's implied? Support. We're going to take care of you. We're going to send you out. We're going to send you to the field. It's your calling. You're not going to spend a year or two or three years on the road. You're going to go right now. You're going to go to the field and we're going to take care of you. I believe that's the perfect system to do missions. Now, I realize that in a time like uh, days that we live in, where people, uh, where countries uh, require sometimes a huge deposit to let a missionary even come in the country, I realize that you know, it, it, the world has changed uh, to a great degree. Nevertheless, the, the idea behind this is that we should devise uh, the means, the ways to send our missionaries uh, without... Uh, all of the long period of time before we find... Did you know that so many missionaries burn out before they ever go to the field just trying to raise their support? So uh, what we have done in uh, First Baptist Church, 
Our very first missionary that we took on full-time was a member of another Baptist church uh, further down the road from us, uh, about 25 miles from us. And when he came before the church and said, the Lord's called me to be a missionary, he was not even married at the time, but he was engaged, and they were going to be married just a few months later. So this young man uh, showed up at one of our preacher's meetings and said, the Lord's called me to be a missionary, and I want to go to, the Lord's calling me to go to Taumaturgo, upriver, 200 miles upriver. So I said, and you know what? We're going to send you. And he wasn't even a member of our church. And you know what his church did? His church sent his letter to our church without even him requesting it because they were afraid they were going to have to pay for him to go to the mission field. But what did we do? We said, okay, we're going to send you. We didn't have the money to do it, but we did it. And you saw this morning we organized the church where he first started out with 212 charter members. So, uh, you know, just these things are important. We need to get in the Scripture and, and see what the Bible tells us about missions. But now there's, there's one very... These are all things that are very important, and, but they're also incidental. But think about the church at Antioch for a minute. And here's the question. Where in the world did the church at Antioch come from? Where did the church at Antioch come from? Because we're hearing about the church at Jerusalem, 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 and all of a sudden here, there's this church springs up, seems like out of nowhere in, in the book of Acts, this church at Antioch, and from this church at Antioch, these two men, Barnabas and Saul, are called to be missionaries, and they go out, and they go from village to village, and from town to town, and they preach the gospel, and they baptize people, and they organize churches, and they prepare uh, workers to stay and take care of those congregations, and they come back, and they report to the church, and then they go out again, and they start more works, and they come back, and they report to the church. It's a great system. In fact, it's a system that we use today, to this very day. That's the way it's done. It's the way it's supposed to be done. So a a huge mission work evolved from these first two missionaries that were sent out from the church at Antioch. But the question remains, where in the world did the church at Antioch come from? Now, you will not find in the book of Acts a business meeting at the church of Jerusalem saying, uh, we're going to send missionaries up to Antioch. And we're approving them uh, going up there. And then later on, the, the, the congregation uh, comes to be, comes into being. And, and then all of a sudden, let's have another business meeting. And, and we're going to organize the church at Antioch. You're not going to find that. That's not in there. Where did the church at Antioch come from? In fact, the, also in the book of Acts, we find that the, the church of Antioch was, uh, was, was a spontaneous work. It was, and it grew rapidly also. Uh, it's the place where uh, the term Christian was first applied to the disciples. So uh, that's the question. But where did the church of Antioch come from? Where in the world did it come from? Because the church of Jerusalem sure wasn't using this system that was, was basically initiated right here with the church of Antioch. In other words, we have no record of the church of Jerusalem sending a missionary to Antioch. There's no record of that. What we do have is fragments in the book of Acts, bits and pieces of the story. And the story, the, the, the line is basically this. Remember those people that had to leave Jerusalem 
because of persecution and poverty? Remember those people? They, they showed up at Antioch. And here's, the, here's the, the wonderful thing about this. These people that left Jerusalem, they didn't leave Jerusalem just with empty pockets. They had a wealth. They had, a, they had riches untold in the gospel that they took with them. Now, they were forced out of Jerusalem. They didn't go because they wanted to go. They went because they had to go. That was the only church on the face of the earth. And the Holy Spirit says, get out of town. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Go. I've told you to go. This is the only church. The rocks are not going to cry out. Get out there and do the job that I've given you to do. But when they went, even though they were poverty stricken, even though they were jobless, even though they were homeless, as they scattered around, all around, all over northern Africa, all over the the Middle East, into southern Europe, as they scattered around, all over the place, these people took the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. And as they came into towns and they got jobs and they settled in, what did they do? They shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with their neighbors. And people were saved. And then what do you think happened? They were fulfilling the commission. These were not missionaries that were sent out through a a system. These were just people, just regular folks that were forced out of Jerusalem and, and went to live someplace else. And they shared the gospel with people. People were saved. And I don't, the, the scripture does not record how they did it, but I know people were baptized. And I believe probably that those people that had legitimate baptism from the church of Jerusalem probably did the baptizing in these towns where they preached the gospel. And then churches sprang up because where you have a group of baptized believers, what is that other than a church? A group of legitimately baptized believers is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where the church at Antioch came from. Now let me share something uh, that, that is personal to me and to you. When people move away, as you've you know, been suffering through this over the last few months, as people move away, uh, we miss them, don't we? They're missed. In many ways. And we, sometimes we, we think back and we're, oh man, we used to have such good times together. And now they're gone. They're not here anymore. But you know, we need to see that as missions also. That needs to be, that needs to, our mindset needs to be that that is part of, of being missionary. That if we teach and indoctrinate and prepare our people for that moment when they may have to leave our community and leave our church and they go somewhere else, what's to be expected of them? This right here that happened at the church at Antioch. They take the gospel with them. And if they can't find a church in the new community that they've gone into that has sound doctrine, and is, is, is actively preaching the gospel and winning souls, if they can't find that, I think it's their duty to look for that when they go to a new community. That's what we do with our people down home. 
When they move away, and they move away in droves, let me tell you. One of the most painful things that's happened in my ministry is I train people and prepare people, and I see people saved in my ministry, and I baptize them, and I teach them and train them, and they come along, and they grow like weeds, and they're active, and they're on fire for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, we're going to Hilbrunko, the capital. Our kids are ready to go to college, and so that's where the best universities are, so we're going to, we're going to move. Or that's where the jobs are. So that's where, that's where we're going. And to see those people go away, oh, it is so painful to a pastor. Ask your pastor. He'll tell you about it. It's so painful. But you must envision this as mission. That as those people go, they need to be taught to look for a good, solid Baptist church and get in there and, and become part of what? the nucleus that's serving the Lord in that community. Because that's where the Holy Spirit's going to work. The Holy Spirit's going to use them. But if there is not a church there, then what should they do? Hey, well, we're going to start one. If there's not a good, solid church there that's winning souls and uh, expanding the kingdom of God and with good, solid, sound doctrine, well, then we'll just start one. We're missionaries too. We were sent out by our church. No, there wasn't any official sending out as a missionary, but that's how the church at Antioch got started, by people who spontaneously left Jerusalem and went to other cities and preached the gospel, baptized people, and started churches. And so it it can be ministry, folks, and we should be encouraged by that. And I have finally, I have finally given in after all these years of losing so many people to other places in Brazil. But I have seen that our people that we prepare very well, that go into other communities, they become a blessing uh, to other churches. And sometimes they're the people that other churches uh, were, were waiting on, if you will, to, to spark them on to, to getting busy about missions and winning their community for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've, you know, I've given in. I've given in and I've just said to the Lord, you know, I don't want to lose anybody. I don't want anybody to leave. But if they have to go, I want them to go well prepared and ready to start churches if, if necessary. And if not, but to come, become part of good Baptist churches and to become part of that nucleus and to become active and to become supportive and to adjust and not to be crybabies and whiners and, you know, oh, we, we can't find a good church. No, I don't want, don't want to hear that. And when you get to the other, the other town, and, and, and tell you what, this is a fight all the time with these people that leave our church and go to other cities. Oh, I don't want to move my church letter. I just feel like home is back in Crusader de Sul. That's where home is. That's where I want to keep my... Don't do it. Move that church letter and get in there and get active because you don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit will come along and say, I want you to go from here to another place, to another country, to another culture, to another language, to be my missionary, just like he did in the church at Antioch. So I want to encourage you tonight. I want to, you know, I want to, you know, build you up. I want to edify you. It's hard when you lose people, when people go to other places, when people have to leave. And sometimes they do. They just have to leave. Sometimes people leave spontaneously. They just, I mean, it is unbelievable the number of people that uh, come to me on Sunday night 
After I preach my sermon, they say, well, pastor, I prayed about it and I'm leaving. Well, when you're leaving? On the flight tomorrow. Whoa, I didn't know about that. Why didn't you talk to me about that? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, it's so hard. It's difficult. But we must understand that sometimes it's a loss to us, but it's a gain for another church, and it may be a huge gain for the kingdom of God. See yourself as a missionary. See your family as a missionary family in your neighborhood. See yourself as a missionary in the workplace. See yourself as a missionary to your family. Because you are just as much a missionary as Paul and Barnabas. You are just as much a missionary. And I have seen big churches grow up simply because one family out of my church or some church has moved to another place. And a new church sprang up because of that, because they saw themselves as missionaries of the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling the commission. Now, they may not be on salary. They may not be on the payroll. But you must see yourself just as much a missionary. Let me me personalize it. You must see yourself just as much a missionary as I am. And you are just as valuable and just as important and just as crucial and critical to the kingdom of God as I am or anyone else. So be, you know, take courage because God will use you. But, you know, evaluate. You know, sort of, you know, an inventory of your life. Are you committed as a member of Berean Baptist Church? Are you really committed? Do you feel like you're part of that group, that nucleus that, that God's going to use and that you can expect great things, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and really work solidly in? Are you part of that? Make sure you are, because you want to be where the blessings are. When I started talking to you this evening, I told you that I'm having fun where I am. There's no sacrifice involved in what I'm doing. I'm enjoying what I'm doing, having fun. And I am extremely privileged and blessed to, be, to have been put by God in a place that he has chosen to bless in a wonderful way, with many people being saved, many people being taught, people being called to preach, new missionaries being brought up through the system. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. But you can be too. And you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't get downtrodden and sad and you just need to see every opportunity as an opportunity to be a minister for the Lord, to be his missionary, to do his work, and focus on reaching your Jerusalem, your Judea, going across borders into Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. But be his missionary right where you are. We're going to pray now. And just as the Holy Spirit used that group, and the list was not so long, was it? It was a short list, wasn't it, of members? I don't know. I, I imagine that there were hundreds of members of the church at Antioch by this, by this time.
The list was short there, but we're going to pray now. And just as the Holy Spirit used, selected two of those to go be missionaries, you ever thought maybe somebody at Berean Baptist would be sent to Africa, Asia, or South America, or someplace? The Holy Spirit may, may want you to go. He may want to call you tonight to be this, if you'll forgive me the expression, this special kind of missionary that goes overseas. Maybe he will call you. So let's pray now. And as we pray, evaluate. Do that inventory. Figure out where you are and make yourself available to be his missionary. Lord, we're not worthy. We're just frail human beings, sinners that you have saved by your grace. There's no merit on our part. We don't deserve to be your sons. We don't deserve to be part of your kingdom. We don't deserve to be called. We don't deserve to have the privilege of sharing your gospel. But you have chosen us. And we want to place our lives before your throne right now. We want to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to serve you, to expand your kingdom, to be your missionaries, to share your love with others, wherever that may be. Bless this church in a special way. Bless her pastor, his wife and children. Bless each member. Bless this community. And pray that you would strengthen and bless and honor the work that they're doing. And if you would see fit to call more people, even from Berean Baptist Church, to be your missionaries overseas or anywhere else, that you would do so and that we would gladly participate in sending whoever you call to do your work. All these things we ask you for and thank you for in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.